Good morning. Greetings in Christ's name this morning. The story of Zacchaeus is probably a story that we heard since we were a little child. We sang the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. In this story, a man started out living a crooked life and ended by surrendering himself to Jesus. How did this man get to this place? Is it because Zacchaeus was seeking for Jesus? Or was it because Jesus was seeking him? I'm going to read the last two verses again. This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The title for the sermon this morning is The Son of Man Seeks and Saves. I'm going to be looking at verse 10 a little bit before we go into the story, and it may seem like we're going backwards in the story, but if we don't understand verse 10, I think the story is going to, we're going to be lost in the story. This story is not about Zacchaeus as much as it is about God seeking those who are lost. Zacchaeus was a recipient of one who was sought after. And I believe the whole point of this story of Zacchaeus is found here in verse 10, about the Son of Man seeking and saving. Who is the Son of Man that is being referred to here? We all know that it is referring to Jesus. And when it uses the Son of Man, it is referring to Jesus in his humanity. How the second person in the Trinity, who is eternal by nature, came down as a man. He humbled himself and became a man like us. He was born. He had a beginning. He had struggles. He was despised and rejected by mankind. He had no place to lay his head, as we see in Luke 9. He ate and drank with sinners. The one who is holy ate and drank with sinners. And he suffered at the hands of men through his death. Also in Daniel, we see how the Son of Man will reign over the whole earth in his coming kingdom. In the book of Luke, Jesus is referred to often as the Son of Man. We can see in this verse, verse 10, that the Son of Man has two purposes here in this in this life when he came down to the earth. First one is to seek. This, this means to seek out in order to find that which was lost. The other purpose is to save. And this means to be delivered from destruction, from being ruined, from death, which is eternal separation from God. This destruction is caused by the very one who is out seeking the lost. By the one who gives us life. He is the one that is also causing the eternal separation from God because of sin. 
God who is seeking out the lost will be the one who will pour out his wrath on all who are lost. Jesus is saving those who are lost from the wrath of his Father. These two purposes that we see in verse 10 is the foundation of why he came. His primary reason why Jesus came wasn't so that he could heal and raise people from the dead, and also to do good to those around him. It wasn't even necessarily to show us the way that we should live. It wasn't because of his teachings to teach his disciples and us why he came. The reason that Jesus came was to seek and to save those who are lost. That is the reason why he came. May I add this real quick. Since we are found and become Christians, we are blessed to know how we ought to live, to learn about Jesus' teachings that he taught to the crowd and also to his disciples, and how we are to do good to others and have compassion toward others. Ever since the beginning of time, God is the one who seeks and saves who are lost. Remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate the fruit that they were forbidden to eat. I'm going to read the verse there in Genesis 3.8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees, amongst the trees of the garden. When they heard God in the garden, they hid themselves. God called out to them, Where art thou? God was the one seeking for Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve seeking for God. God found Adam and Eve after he went out searching for them. We can ask the question, what made Adam and Eve think about hiding from God? It was because of their sin that they committed in the garden that caused them to hide from God. It was their guilt from the sin that they committed. Another person that hid from God was Moses. What did Moses do when he killed the Egyptian in Exodus 2? He fled from Egypt to hide in the wilderness. God found Moses and spoke to him in the burning bush. Also, Jonah hid from God. When God told Jonah to go to Nineveh to warn them because of their wickedness, Jonah went the opposite direction, to flee from God so that he wouldn't have to go to Nineveh. But God found Jonah in the whale's belly. Also, Paul was running from God in Acts 9. He was hiding from God previous to this chapter. And we know that Paul was persecuting the church and also Jesus. But God found him in chapter 9. And you could say that God arrested Paul through the aid of the Holy Spirit. He brought Paul to great conviction. There are many more stories of people running from God and then God finds them. But because of man's sin, because of our sin, we continue to hide from God until God finds us. 
what makes us us hide from God? Like I said about Adam and Eve's story, it is because of our sin that we run and hide from God. God is a holy God, and we are separate and we are sinful creatures. Sin separates us from God. It is a natural thing for us as humans to hide from God because of our sin. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And the phrase that I want to bring out here is that our sin, our iniquities have caused a separation between us and God. And the reason that we hide from God is because of the pride in our own life. We try to figure out our sin problem ourselves. Psalms 10.4 says, A wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. We don't seek God because of the pride in our own lives. And I think this is the number one reason why we don't seek God. We also read of verses about us seeking the Lord as well. And I want to read some of those verses. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Isaiah 55, 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Matthew six thirty three says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And the book of Psalms has many verses of us seeking God. And I'm going to read three of them. Psalms 9, 10, it says, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Psalms twenty two twenty six: The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. And Psalms 27, 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So in reading these verses and what I had said earlier, you may be a little confused. So how do we tie all this together? God is the one who is seeking after us. We seek after God, and we also hide from God. 1 John 4, 19, it says, We love him because he first loved us. Romans 5, 8, it says, But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I believe that the only time that we seek the Lord is after God has found us. In our own sinful condition, we run and hide from God. So when we seek the Lord, it is after God found us. So how does God seek us? How does he find us? If we look in the story of Zacchaeus, when is he found? Or when we look at the life of Paul in Acts 9, when was Paul found? I think in both of these men's life, 
They were found when Jesus showed up in their life. And I believe that is the same for every other person who was found by God. Is that Jesus was revealed in their life. We all know that Jesus isn't here in bodily form. So how does Jesus, how is he revealed to us today? In John 1, Jesus is referred to as a word. By calling Jesus the word, John emphasized that Jesus is the revelation of God. And we can see in Hebrews that God has spoken to us by his son, Jesus. I believe that is through the scriptures that we can see Jesus. It is when we read the Bible and see Jesus through, throughout the whole entire Bible. When we read the scriptures, we can see that Jesus is the I am that I am. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. That he is the bread of life. That he is the living water. That he is the light of the world. And there's so many more things that we could say that Jesus is. People are found when they see who Jesus is in Scripture, when they meet up with Jesus, when Jesus is revealed to them in their life. Jesus is also revealed to us through creation, as we can see in Romans 1. I believe when we are found, or I believe when we see Jesus, when we experience Jesus, we are then found like Zacchaeus was in this story. A little bit about God's attitude towards those who are lost. In a few chapters earlier from chapter 19, in Luke 15, there are three parables that convey to us how God deals with those who are lost. The first one is the one sheep that was lost out of a flock of a hundred. The shepherd leaves the 99 sheep and goes out and looks for his one lost lonely sheep. The shepherd looks for it until he finds it. He brings his lost sheep back and calls his friends and neighbors to rejoice with him because the lost sheep has been found. The second second parable is the parable of the woman who loses a piece of silver. It says that she would light a candle, sweep the house, and search diligently until she had found it. After she finds her lost silver, she too will call her friends and neighbors and tell them to rejoice with her, for she has lost, for she has found her lost silver. And the third story is how a father brings back his prodigal son. The son left his home to live his own life, to live a life of wickedness that brought great sadness to his father. The son, when he came to grip with his life, decided to come back and earn his way back into the family as a servant. But instead, the father fell on his neck, kissed him, and treated him as his own son. The father threw a party for finding his lost son. God is like a shepherd 
that lost his sheep. God is also like the woman who lost the coin, and also like the father who lost his wayward son. God searches and searches until he found, till he has found that which was lost. When God finds a sinner, there is much rejoicing that goes on in heaven. And this rejoicing is done also with the angels that are in heaven as well. This time now, I want to go through this story here in Luke 19, um, going through verse by, verse by verse, pointing things out as we go along. The town of Jericho was a city that you remember is the same city that Joshua and the children of Israel destroyed back in Exodus. After it was destroyed, Joshua placed a curse on anyone who would rebuild the city. And then in 1 Kings 16, we, re- we read of a man who built the city of Jericho in spite of the curse that Joshua had said. Since he rebuilt it, this man lost his two sons, and it happened just like Joshua said it would, would happen. The city of Jericho is 17 miles away from the city of Jerusalem. And Jericho was set 800 feet below the city, the sea level. And Jerusalem was 3,500 feet above Jericho. So we can, it's a short distance away, 17 miles, and we can see the, the, alti- the, the number of feet higher than um, Jericho. Jerusalem was, yeah, a number of feet higher than Jericho. In the story of the Good Samaritan, it is said that a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And we can understand why. It says that he went down because it would have been a rough, steep, dangerous journey. And also, in Luke 19 here, after the story of Zacchaeus, it says that Jesus ascended up to go to Jerusalem in verse 28. The city of Jericho had one road passing through to go up to Jerusalem. So they would have often have a lot of travelers passing through in order to go to Jerusalem. The city of Jericho had a warm climate and was maybe a little bit like Pinecraft is to us from the north. Jericho was a place to go in the winter time when it was cold. Herod the Great built his winter palaces there. This city is also called the City of Palms because it had many palm trees in the city. And we can read about this in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 34, and also Judges 1 and 3, and also in Second Chronicles 28. The city of Jericho was maybe a little bit like Lancaster County is here. Things were going well for the people there. You could buy and sell because of all the people traveling through it. And because of this, you also had the poor and the beggars there begging for money, as we can see in verse 35 here, where it talks about the blind man. And also because there was a lot of people in the town, and those who were wealthy living there, you had thieves and robbers 
that roamed about there. And where there was people, there was also those who collected taxes. In the city of Jericho, we can read, we read of only two events where Jesus ministered to people. And it's found here at the end of Luke 18, the blind man that was healed, and also the story of Zacchaeus. Let's look at Jesus and the crowd of people that was with him. The story of Zacchaeus happens at the end of Jesus' life. We can see that in Luke 18, 31 to 33. I'm going to read that. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. Notice what he says in verse 31. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be coming, shall be as accomplished. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem from Galilee, his place of ministry. His ministry to the people was ending. The reason why he came to the earth was around the corner. His death and resurrection. But on the way to Jerusalem, he needed to go through Jericho. Notice verse 1. He entered and passed through Jericho. Is it possible that Jesus made a point to go through Jericho because of what happened to Zacchaeus that day and also to the blind man in chapter 18? Jesus had a divine appointment that he needed to be at. Let's look a little bit at the crowd that was with Jesus. What Jewish holiday happened at the time of Jesus' death? You probably remember it was the Passover. According to Deuteronomy 16.16, all males needed to appear before the Lord, their God, or appear at the temple for the Passover. So there was possibly many people on the road to Jerusalem. Not only was the crowd with Jesus because of the Passover, but also they were with him because of what the prophets had prophesied about the Messiah in the Old Testament. How the Jews were promised that Jesus would someday deliver them from the Romans and set up his earthly kingdom how they will reign with him in his coming kingdom. Notice the reason why he told the parable in Luke 19.11. Because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should suddenly appear. And this is, of course, referring to his earthly kingdom. Jesus was going about doing good, healing the sick and the blind. He had raised Lazarus, from the dead, not too long before, in the town of Bethany that wasn't too far away from Jericho. The news had traveled all over the place about Jesus, and we can see why he had a crowd. Also, the residents of Jericho would have gone out to meet Jesus and the crowd. This would be their way 
of showing hospitality as they came into the city. They would offer them water to drink and protection as they come into the city. Let's look at the man Zacchaeus. The name, his name, Zacchaeus, means pure and innocent. Up to this day, he didn't live up to his name. It says in verse 1 that Zacchaeus was the chief publican and he was rich. Or verse 2, rather. What was meant when it says that he was a chief publican? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He gathered taxes from the Jewish people. When it says that he was the chief, it means that he had people working under him that gathered taxes. He was in control of more people. He was in control of a larger area. The publicans in those days weren't the favorite people to be around. In fact, they were considered one of the lowest people in society. The, the Pharisees called them sinners. And the reason that this was the case was because they took money from their fellow brethren. And notice I said fellow brethren. They were Jews taking money from their fellow Jews. So how did all this taxing people work? The Romans would hire people who were willing to pay money to become a tax collector. These tax collectors, like I said, were fellow Jews. The Romans would expect a certain amount of money from the tax collectors, and these tax, tax collectors could charge tax enough for what the Romans required and also to be able to pocket some for themselves. They would tax the people for every little thing that they could. And I read some um, places that even on the axles, depending how many axles you had in your cart, depending how many servants you had, you could tax people for every little thing. And the people, they could do nothing about it because the Roman soldiers were there to enforce what was demanded of them. The rest of the Jewish people did not treat them well. They were treated the same as murderers and robbers. The tax, the tax collectors were excommunicated from the synagogue. The rabbis considered it lawful to lie, to speak untruth in whatever they, way they could to these men. These men were also considered traitors because their own brethren was working for the Romans. And this is how Zacchaeus was treated. Another fact about Zacchaeus, and some people were trying to tell me this morning it could have been Jesus, but it, it says that he was a short man. He was little, little in stature and Supposedly some tourist guides over in Israel would tell you that it was Jesus who was little. But we all know that it was, in, in the West here, we all know it was Zacchaeus that was little. So that's what we'll go with. Zacchaeus was a short man. Let's look now at um, Jesus and Zacchaeus as they meet. 
Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was in the area, and he sought to see him. We have to wonder, what was his intentions in seeking for Jesus? Was he curious about this man? I'm sure he heard about his mighty works that he did. Being a tax, tax collector, he would collect money from other people and heard their stories. Or was his heart heavy with his lifestyle, always getting to fill his own pocket from the hands of other poor people so that he could build his own mansion? It could be that some of both because of his curiosity and also because of guilt that he was wanting to seek Jesus. The Greek word for sought in verse 3 is the same word in verse 10 about the Son of Man seeking those who are lost. The one is seeking to bring about salvation, the other possibly out of curiosity. Because Zacchaeus was too short, he ran ahead to climb up in a sycamore tree so he could catch a better glimpse of Jesus. And just to tell you, it was not the same tree that we see outside in our parking lot, the sycamore trees. This was a different type of tree. It was known, they called it a mulberry tree, or like a mulberry tree. It was a low-lying tree that had branches close to the ground. But yeah, he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree so he can catch a better glimpse of Jesus. He knew the route that they would take because they were passing through to go on to Jerusalem. When Jesus comes to the place where Zacchaeus was, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. And you need to remember who Zacchaeus was. He was a publican. He was a sinner. Jesus called out to Zacchaeus out of all the many people that were there. And he said his name. When you call people by their name, there is a sense of connection there. But here, Jesus went farther than that. He didn't even know who Zacchaeus was. And he called him by his name. Jesus did this another time in John 1. Jesus knew Nathanael before he met him. When Jesus met him, he told him, An Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. I believe Jesus knew everything about Zacchaeus when he met him. And also, what all was going to happen to to Zacchaeus that day. Let's look at the next phrase. Today I must abide at your house. Like I said before, Jesus had a divine appointment to meet Zacchaeus. He uses the word I must. I must abide at your house. It is necessary that I stay at your house. Today I must offer salvation to Zacchaeus. The word abide here has the idea of staying for a while, maybe even staying overnight. I think there's a difference between when someone stops at your house for a little bit or if they are staying for a while. 
If you're just stopping by, you probably won't take, take the time to sit in a chair or even take your coat off and shoes. But if you'll be there for a while, you'll find a comfortable chair to sit in. You'll take your shoes off and also your coat. Jesus was going to stay a while at Zacchaeus' house, who was a publican, which was labeled as a sinner. And you have to wonder, you know, what did the disciples think? Did they go to Zacchaeus' house with Jesus? Where were they at? It doesn't tell us here what happened. But Zacchaeus, of course, received him joyfully. How many friends do you think Zacchaeus had? Not very many. How many times do you think he had people over for a meal? Maybe never, except if they were his fellow publicans, other sinners that went to his house, people that were low class. This is a Messiah, the one that the prophets had promised so many times in the Old Testament, going to stay at the sinner, the man that is a sinner's house, Zacchaeus' house. This is the king of the Jews, the king of all kings, who is going to reign over the whole earth, that was going to stay at this man's house, who was a sinner. Just imagine what was going through Zacchaeus' mind. No one ever dared go to his house for a meal. Yet the Messiah was going to his house. He probably felt, he probably finally felt that he was now being accepted by people. This isn't the first time that things went better for a publican than those and for those around them in Jesus' ministry. Jesus called Matthew to be his disciple, who was also a publican and a sinner. Mark two, fourteen to seventeen, I'm going to read those verses. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of customs, and said unto him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard this, when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Not only did he call Matthew, but he ate with him as well as with many other publicans and sinners. Jesus came for those who are sick. Those that recognize that they need a Savior. He came to call sinners to repentance. And that is exactly what we see in verse 10. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. 
Also, another time that a publican, it was better for a publican than for those around um, them, is the story of the tax collector and the public, sorry, the Pharisee and the tax collector praying in the temple in chapter 18. It says that the tax collector, the publican, went to his house justified compared to the Pharisee who supposedly went above and beyond what the law required him to do. The publican, who was a sinner, was justified. Jesus always had a heart for the publicans because of his purpose why he came to the earth. Let's look now at the response of the crowd in verse 7 of chapter 19. The crowd, they had other things in mind with Jesus. They wanted to make him king. But here he's going to a publican's house. What was the people's response? It says that they all murmured, saying that he is going to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Just think about that a little bit, about what they were saying. What were they saying when they said that? What did they expect Jesus to do to Zacchaeus? One thing that these people didn't get is how Jesus had other purposes in coming to the earth besides setting up his kingdom here. And it wasn't that they were wrong in their thinking, for the prophets prophesied about it. But by murmuring, they were saying that there was, there was no hope for Zacchaeus to enter into this kingdom. That Zacchaeus would be thrown into hell because of his sin. And just to remind you, Zacchaeus was rich because of taking money from the crowd around him. The crowd was angry, mad at Zacchaeus for what he did to them. There is an unforgiving spirit in the crowd toward Zacchaeus. They didn't forgive him for what he did to them. I wonder sometimes when we have an unforgiving spirit toward someone, what are we saying to them? Are we trying to say that that person who has wronged us, there is never any grace offered to them? Are we trying to offer a place in hell for them? I think this is something that we need to think about when someone wrongs us. Do we have a forgiving spirit towards them? Or are we like the crowd who wanted Zacchaeus to not have any part with Jesus? Let's look now at Zacchaeus' repentant heart. It seems like that there is a gap of time, a time gap between verse 7 and also verse 8. How much time is in between, we don't know. But we can quite imagine that it would be a couple hours or maybe possibly one night. We don't know what all went on in those couple of hours, what all they talked about. But I'm sure Jesus' main message to Zacchaeus was that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
I believe sometime during that time, Zacchaeus had a changed heart. Because in verse 8, we can see the fruit of a heart that was changed. In verse 8, the phrase that Zacchaeus stood indicates that he was firm with what he was going to say. He meant what he said. To, feel, to only feel sorry for one's sins or say that he feels cleansed of his sins was not enough. When one is spirit-filled with the natural response to make things right, what was done wrong, I think it's the natural response of the Holy Spirit to make things right, what was done wrong. And this was what Zacchaeus was doing. He said that he would give half of his goods to feed the poor. And if he took anything from any man by false accusation, he, he would restore four times. This is the definite action of God already working in his life. He has a changed life. This is the evidence of a heart that was changed. In the Old Testament, God always had a heart for the poor. And Zacchaeus understood that from the books in the Old Testament. God had told the children of Israel that they were to, when they were reaping their harvest, they were to leave some for the poor. And here Zacchaeus was giving half of his goods to the poor. A couple of verses earlier, one chapter earlier in, in 18, chapter 18, Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell what he has and give to the poor, but he refused to do it. He therefore wasn't able to find and get eternal life. Here, Zacchaeus tells Jesus that he would give his money to the poor. And because of that, he was unable to receive eternal life. In the Old Testament, another law that they had, when someone takes something from another person and they confess their sin, they were to restore it back to him and also give a fifth part more what they took. Here, Zacchaeus was going to restore four times as much. He was going above and beyond what was required by the law to do. We can definitely see a changed man's heart, a heart that was changed. Let's look at Jesus' response to Zacchaeus' repentant heart. It says that salvation has come to this house that day. This is a statement of fact. People were saved that day at Zacchaeus' house. You know, the question that we could ask was there more than one person there? Did Zacchaeus have, have his wife there? Was he married? Did he have children? We are not told for sure, but we can be sure that at the house of Zacchaeus, there was salvation there. And Jesus goes on to say that he also is the son of Abraham. Zacchaeus was a Jew, just like the religious leaders, just like the rest of the crowd that day in Jericho that followed Jesus. Well, there was definitely something different from this Jew, Zacchaeus, compared 
to the other Jews that followed Jesus. There are some verses in Romans 2, 28-29 that speaks about this, about the Jews. I'm going to read them. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. The Jews that followed Jericho, the Jews that followed Jesus into Jericho, didn't follow the same God that Abraham followed. These Jews made sure everything looked right on the outside. They were circumcised and followed, and they followed all the laws. And they were proud about their, that they were from Abraham. Zacchaeus, who was a Jew, who was probably circumcised, was now a true Jew because he no longer was circumcised externally, but now he had the circumcision of the heart. Or you could say that he had a new heart. His life was changed. I believe that is what these verses in Romans is talking about. There is a big difference from believing Jews like Zacchaeus, who followed Jesus, and unbelieving Jews that rejected Jesus. And may I add um, something about the, the verse here in Romans 2 um, doesn't mean that all Christians are Jews, but it's specifically speaking of the Jews. They are true Jews, those who have a faith like Abraham, like we see in Romans 4. We can definitely see in this story the work of the Son of Man. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. I was definitely blessed with studying the story of Zacchaeus and the work of Christ in his life. I was also challenged with the idea of having a forgiving spirit toward those who have wronged me. And also what I am implying if I don't have that forgiving spirit. I trust that we can be grateful and blessed today with the work that Christ does in our own life and also in the lives of, a, of other people that we see around us. With this, let us, I want to invite you to kneel in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your many blessings and your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you came down, that you sent your Son down to this earth to seek and to save those that are lost. I pray, God, for each one here that we would grasp that, that we would apply that to our hearts, that we would accept you, accept your seeking and saving. I pray, God, that you would just guide and direct us. I pray, God, that the words that were spoken here this morning, that if they are true, that they would be remembered. And if there would be anything that is false, Lord, that it would pass through the ears of the people that listened. I pray, God, that you would just guide and direct us today, guide and direct our fellowship. 
And I pray, God, that we'd be faithful to you until you call us home. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.